Today we are talking to Bill, the CEO at GetClear, and we discuss new ways of measuring developer output, what it takes to be an effective communicator, and how to hire and retain the best talent. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hey, how you doing? What up? How you doing, buddy? <laughs> Pretty good. Still a little bit early in PST, but uh, but I'm I'm waking up. <laughs> oh, nice. We could have done it later in the afternoon, but we got you bright I, and early and fresh. I'm I'm supposed to, this is supposed to be when a person's at their best, right? Like when they wake up and I have all this energy and the coffee's starting to flow through my veins and I'm getting there. <laughs> so when you wake up, do you go like on a run? Like how do you get started? Uh, I just sort of drag myself out of bed. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think that someday I'm, I, I, I aspire to be one of those people that like gets up and like does something positive, like exercise or like starts the day off on the right foot. But right now it's just like yank myself out and just like uh, kind of uh, trudge to whatever my first thing is. And then once I get the caffeine start going through my veins, it, it gets better. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me a while to like, start the exercise stuff in the morning but then it's like anything right you build momentum and it's like it's impossible to stop yeah do you how consistently do you do it seven days a week wow damn yeah look at you mr goals and the ambition (laughs) uh i wouldn't i I don't know (laughs) i just um like it's addictive right like so you like i start i i wake up i do like a 20 minute run like run like a mile mile and a half and then uh, make some breakfast, see the kids, and then uh, go to the gym and lift weights for like an hour, and then Damn. come home, shower, and then go to work. Wow, that is uh, that's far beyond what I what my like expectations or my goal, my long term goals. My long term goals would just be to do the first part of what you're describing, the, the twenty <laughs> minutes, <laughs> you know, like mile or mile and a half. Does seem like a good way to sort of wake yourself up, right? Yeah, so I, I noticed, um, like, I wouldn't have continued doing it if there wasn't a benefit, right? Like, yeah. Because you and I, we had, like, we had an awesome lunch a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about a lot about, like, personal and professional development. And there is just such a difference when, like, I'm weight training and exercising and as far as my, how my mind works. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I can see why it would be so, especially for a job like yours where, so much of it is interacting and uh, being alert. <laughs> um, like that's that's what you're doing, right? Like you're prepping your brain and like the body is what gives the brain all the, its energy. So it makes sense. Oh, I never did this as an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> this is all post-engineering. Um, yeah, because like the, uh, the, co- the, the socialization of it, and you're a CEO, so you know, I think you'd probably get like a lot of benefit of it. But that 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 transition of of doing deep work to then interacting with people is really tough. It's really tough for me to do. Like my, it's it's hard. It's taxing on my brain to like yeah, be able to absolutely. do it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a it's a tough context switch. So I want I want to make sure that we 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 get started with talking about Get Clear because I mean I'm just like it's like layers for me, right? Like you first get exposed to something, and you're like, okay, this is cool. I've seen this a couple times before, but then you're like, all right, well, here's what makes it different. And then I, I was, you know, we were kind of going back and forth on like sales copy and, and ideas and things like that and like benefits. And, you know, I, I read it again leading up to this and I checked in on it a couple of times. You know, you, get, you gotta let that break happen mentally. <laughs> and that, now I'm like in love with it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and you're a really um, good writer too. Like I didn't, I didn't notice until actually today that you had like in one of your bios, there's a line that you actually like writing, but you, you are like really good at, at, at writing. I think that's very generous. <laughs> uh, it's something that uh, I think any CEO or person that is uh, sort of the the face of their company or, or creating the content for their company, it's even if it's not something that anybody starts being good at, uh, nobody starts being good at, at a ma- being a manager either. But uh, if it's important, then I think you have to learn to like have the discipline to cultivate uh, more expertise in that. And so for writing, uh, 
I've never like been an avid uh, reader uh, just because I have so many other things in my life that are competing for my attention. But the internet makes it possible, even if you're not an avid reader, to be able to um, to uh, dig into some topics really deeply from a few people that can present content in you know bite-sized chunks like Wait But Why, Paul Graham, Slate Star Codex. Those are a couple of my gold standards and seeing how they do it and seeing how they are able to stay so concise and to uh, create value for the people that are reading. All of those, I, I just try to, um, to figure out how they're doing that and how I can um, create that same value for people that are trying to learn about developer metrics. And so uh, I think every year I you know, spend more time on this and I try to get a little bit better as a writer, but I still certainly don't consider myself uh, accomplished writer. I just consider myself somebody that has to communicate and tries to pay as much attention as possible to what the really smart people are doing to be able to, to create that communication. Right? And one of my favorite books about, about writing um, comes from, it's like Robert McKee. He's uh, like a script writer, but if you watch how people talk in scripts, like if you read like a movie script, oh, yeah. Yeah. it just doesn't, it's not how people actually dialogue, but you watch it and your <laughs> brain fills in the blanks. And so I found like, you know, I read a lot of books on writing and I've had to, you know, communicate with board members and, and do all that as, as a founder. But this was like relevant, but like completely over in a different area. So it gave a fresh perspective, like here's how you write stories professionally. And then you can leverage some of those, you know, skills and attributes like in your work to, to better understand yeah. how people perceive it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh, I mean, there are so many different elements to it and uh, Paul Graham actually has been talking about writing more on Twitter lately. Uh, it's be kind of become his main, I guess, his last hobby standing as he's kind of transitioned into being a father more than the, the founder of Y Combinator. And uh, he's had a lot to say about sort of, all of the not tricks that go into writing well, but the the tenets of being able to be an effective communicator and being able to consistently surprise your readers and to have uh, you know material content beyond the first sentence of every paragraph and all these different aspects that go into it, where you can you know spend a lifetime trying to get better as a communicator and trying to um, become more concise, and it will still be interesting because there's still more to learn there. And so I love learning, and uh, it, it's really fun to to try to get a little bit better at it. And we've definitely seen uh, a lot of positive results from my uh, efforts to be a writer uh, by way of, uh, of the traffic that comes to Get Clear, uh, which at this point is still uh, at least 50%, I wanna say, the um, content marketing, you know, the, the articles that we write for people that are trying to learn more about measuring developer. They're trying to learn more about how all the different products in this space compare to one another. And, uh, and every week we're getting more traffic than the week before because, uh, you know, I keep trying to uh, polish and make more useful the resources that we make available to people to get answers to those kinds of questions. No, and, I, and one, one of the things that just popped into my head right now um, is, I don't know if I shared this with you at lunch, but one of the biggest things that I've learned is with, with content marketing is separating the individual writing the content with with the person who's going to layer in call to actions. Did I say that to you yeah. at lunch? No, you didn't. I, I didn't get that one. Yeah, that's a good idea though. It's like, it's so impossible because I, I ran into this, like the best experiences in life are the ones that you bang your head against the wall for like ever. And then you <laughs> figure it out from someone else when you're like crying, like I can't get it. <laughs> so, yeah, separation of, of roles. Like don't be the person that writes the article, but then also tries to figure out how to convert people in that content to it like have a separate human being do it because you get emotionally attached to the writing and like to, you don't imagine it like how you're going to do the call to actions. It's just, I, I don't know how to articulate it well, because this is one of the first times I'm, I'm talking about it, but experiencing it, if you have a separate person, look at your beautiful piece of work of value of content value, and then they figure out how to layer in call to actions. That's like the winning, the winning sauce. Do you think that part of that is that, as the writer, um, to be able to create the most effective piece, you you have to be kind of single-minded in uh, in what you're trying to accomplish. Is that part of it? You think? I think it is, and I've even tried to like take breaks because you know when I wrote the book, I, you have to like 
go back and do separate takes. And I even tried to take breaks and, and like come back like a week later to the writing and lay in the stuff. And for me, maybe I just didn't per continue down that path long enough. I couldn't get it. And then I was talking about with some other like way smart people in marketing and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. You need to separate those two, two roles and just have a person who's really skilled at the conversion part because they're going to try different conversions and constant and then just separate the people have the people bringing the value and the people figuring out how to convert the value and i was like oh huh. i just yeah, hired someone on upwork and she did like amazing and it just worked super quickly <laughs> huh see this is what i'm talking about every day you can learn something new about writing and and become a little bit more uh, of a craftsman in, in that uh, domain and i think uh, that's part of what makes writing so interesting and exciting to me is, is stuff like this where quite thought of that before but it, it definitely uh sort of uh i think uh brings into relief how the process of creating the writing is uh something where you're already it's so difficult because you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of, of not just one reader but you're trying to put yourself in the shoes of all these different readers that are going to come across it from all different contexts and uh that's hard enough unto <laughs> itself without the, uh, the whole domain of how is this going to benefit the writer? You know, how is this going to benefit our company uh, with this content? So my, my approach has usually been to try to just uh, not even think about how we're going to convert people that, that write, read the content, which probably isn't the greatest from a business standpoint, but I just try to focus on making it as useful as possible for people and kind of as, as short as possible, which I think I have had mixed results with a lot of my articles are two or 3,000 words. So it's not the shortest, but but the shortest that it can be that still gets across the the questions that people are going to ask and sort of the dives into the details where the details are important. And, um, and yeah, I think to your point that uh, having that be the single focus and having it be a separate uh, area of discipline to try to actually uh, convert that into desirable actions from the reader uh, makes a lot of sense. So how, how did you come up with Get Clear? Yeah, so uh, it was it was very much a, a product of necessity. <laughs> it was um, my response to trying to um, run an efficient development team on our Bonanza.com marketplace and just being completely unable to time efficiently understand what the people on the team were working on and how I could uh, help them become more effective in their job. And so, uh, as we talked about, I'm a sort of a developer by uh practice and profession. I've, I've been programming since I was 12, I want to say. And so um, I've always uh, been kind of uh, obsessed with maybe is the right word, uh, writing code and how to improve code and how to make sure an architecture, you know, remains uh, pliable as the, uh, as it grows and as it expands. And being able to do that is a pretty much a full-time job unto itself. But a great manager can do so much more than a single developer. A great manager can take a team of people that are all focused on that goal and um, get them in lockstep and get them uh, working in the area that they're that they're best at. Um, but with the time that I had in a day after coding, I just had no realistic uh, avenue through which I could understand what the developers on my team, which at the time I want to say we had 10 or 15 developers, uh, I had no avenue to understand what they were working on. It was really frustrating because all the time building the site, you know, we had a team of, well, originally just me, but a lot of Bonanza's history was about three to five developers. And at that point, you kind of can keep track of what everyone's working on. You kind of can know like all the uh, directories that are changing and what conventions people are using, what libraries they're using. But after you get past about five, uh, it, it gets a lot more difficult. Um, and so the the first version of Git Clear was a response to that. It was uh, basically uh, simply a tool that we wanted to be able to aggregate all the different repos that we were working in. We didn't want to have to click from repo to repo like GitHub made it made us do. We wanted to be able to um, see the specific commits that people were making over the course of a day, whereas on uh, GitHub, you know, all we had was basically a list. Here's 50 commits. Here's a list of 50 commits that happened today, but no context as to, you know, if you're a busy person that only has 10 minutes to review these commits, which ones should you start with? Uh, and and then um, 
being able to see how people are ramping up when they get hired and seeing how that compares to past people that have been hired. All of those were kind of this, um, these really painful points along with uh, reviewing uh, annual reviews where I would have to try to remember uh, like what, what did this developer work on six months ago or nine months ago or whatever? Um, all of these were things that were really time consuming and that I felt like I was doing a very bad job at, um, you know, once the Bonanza team grew. And so GitClear was a response to that. GitClear was a tool that we started building in order to allow us to uh, initially simply aggregate together all the commits that are happening across, I don't know, at the time it was maybe 10 repos and, uh, and isolate the ones where the most work was happening so that we could spend, you know, if I only had 10 minutes to review commits, I could review the three commits that really were pushing the ball forward uh, that day within our repo. And then, uh, and that could at least guide me towards uh, answers on how the new developers on the team are getting up to speed and sort of what the high points that a person had worked on over the last year were. So that when I was um, doing those kind of manager specific goals, I wasn't just, you know, relying on gut feeling and I wasn't just relying on intuition, both of which I'm deeply suspect of. <laughs> I was I was relying on data and I was, I was able to, um, to, to make, I think, much more informed decisions, even in the early days of GitClear when our metric was much less reliable and you know we were just kind of trying to figure out, is this even possible to build something like this? Um, but it was, you know, from the earliest days, it was creating a lot of value uh, and, and obviously we've gone a long way since then. So that was, that was why we started it in the first place. And we were going back and forth with these, uh, like these notes and I was like, this is actually a really cool service. And then I realized that you own the note service that we are using too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a, a passionate about tools because I believe that every person you know has whatever uh, whatever luck uh, gave them in terms of their talents. You know the things they're naturally going to be good at, but beyond that, uh, what we're going to get done is a function of the tools we're using. And, you know, a lot of my life, I've uh, been a handyman and I probably didn't own a, a electric drill until I was 25, you know? And so, so much of my life I spent like manually, like turning a screwdriver, turning a screwdriver. And when I got that drill, I'm like, I can get 10 times more done now. <laughs> and, and I think that's what, that's what I'm trying to do with, with both Ample Note, the, the note-taking app that you <laughs> refer to, and, and with GitClear is I'm trying to build tools that allow me with the very limited mental faculties I have to be able to get a lot of stuff done by having uh, much more leverage over sort of the domains in which I reside, which are, you know, programming and uh, productivity. And so uh, the fact that that myself and our team get to help other people when they uh, adopt these tools and get leverage themselves is icing on the cake, you know, but, but for ourselves, we're dogfooding these things every day, you know, because they are the key to what allows us to run our business. <laughs> we, we need these tools. And so I, I think that's a great way to, um, to be oriented when you're, uh, when you're setting goals and when you're uh, sort of road mapping what, what a product can potentially be. So that's sort of, it, we have more work than, <laughs> than I think is reasonable for a team of our size between the different projects we're maintaining, but we love it and we're using them every day. So, so it seems to work out. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about like my favorite things about it. Right. Because I okay. spent enough, I spent so much time researching it and looking at it. <laughs> um, so like, and, and here's why. So the first one would be like the, the answering the question who are domain experts, because before we met like months leading up to meeting, it's been a, a topic conversation that's happened a lot on the podcast. People, you know, discussing like, oh, we're making these tribes like Slack channels where we have like experts in different areas. And, and so you can go in there and learn all about this, like who's the best at you know, like Redis or whatever it may be, whatever is important to the company. And then when I was looking at like you in, in the notes, one of the things you had was you had this report and it could show you like who are the domain experts within the organization based on who works on what like type of code. And I thought mm -hmm. that was amazing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I, I totally agree that uh, it's sort of a very common uh, and maybe underappreciated uh, aspect of what a good CTO does. They identify, or VP of engineering as well, they identify who is already good at, at different aspects uh, of, of um, contribution within their uh, repository. So 
uh, it's really common uh, in the teams that I've been a part of that you'll have somebody that's really uh, expert in say the, the libraries or the sort of the underlying platform like Ruby on Rails. You'll have another person that's really great at models. You'll have another person that's really great at, uh, at sort of background jobs and asynchronous execution and making sure that, that stays performant. And then you kind of go further and further up the stack till you have people that are expert in HTML and people that are experts in JavaScript. And, and obviously there's gonna be overlap because uh, a lot of people are working in different domains. But, but I think that, especially if you're a project manager and you're trying to understand who do I go to with my questions or who do I send this ticket to that's a really difficult ticket in a domain that's going to require somebody that really knows, you know, the ins and outs uh, of React, for instance. And, uh, and those are really hard questions to get answers to unless you sort of methodically observed a team over the course of several years, in which case you can eventually like develop an intuition for that. But again, like I'm, we're trying to build tools that create leverage. We, we don't want people to have to wait years before they can uh, really intuitively understand what uh, the, where the people on their team are experts. And so uh, what we do with, with this report that you're, uh, that you're talking about is we take the line impact, which is uh, our metric for how much uh, the code base is evolving from commit to commit. And we are able to basically analyze that uh, in all the different dimensions and all the different types of code that we already recognize just out of the box with Git clear. So pretty much all the kinds of code I've offhandedly used as examples, Ruby on Rails, models, jobs, JavaScript, all these are code categories that GitClear already recognizes. And so when developers just doing their job, <laughs> when they're just making commits that happen to uh, that involve all these different types of files, we first of all know how much experience they have with it because we can see that they've authored more code than anybody else over the last year in, for instance, React. But then we can also get a sense for their velocity because one of the other um, really hard uh, elements of what GitClear offers that, that no, none of our competitors do is we uh, are able to approximate the time required per commit. We're able to basically estimate how much, uh, how much time a developer uh, had to spend to uh, implement whatever feature or branch or ticket um, that they're working on. And so once you have time and distance, you have velocity. And uh, velocity is, I think, a really uh, valuable way to be able to uh, compare how people are relating to different areas within the code so you can figure out who's the fastest at writing models, who's done the most at writing models. And so then when you have a question or when you need uh, a really important feature to be implemented, again, you're not guessing, you're, uh, you're consulting data that's already available and uh, and you have the answers at your fingertips to be able to understand uh, who on the team is going to be best suited to uh, to answer those questions. Or if it's a new developer, they might not even know themselves sort of what their areas of expertise are. So you can help a new developer sort of learn about themselves through these kinds of metrics. So so yeah, that's that's one uh, report that uh, I think I've been really excited about and a lot of our customers are as well. The other one I really like, so I, I kind of ranked my favorites in order of like <laughs> business value. Well, that one was because it's just been a popular conversation because I was telling people like to go check uh, like new relic and stuff <laughs> you know, just to find out like what areas are, are really popular in their application. But one of the, the other ones that I really liked was not waiting like three to six months before helping new hires. So how do you do yeah. that? Yeah, so that is, uh, I, I think, probably our most popular feature and probably our most valuable feature. Uh, it's basically a cohort report. And so I'm guessing a lot of your listeners are um, familiar with the idea of a cohort report. But basically, you you look at, uh, for everybody uh, on the team that was at the same point in their tenure, how did they compare at that point? And so... Um, what we're able to do is we can look at the full commit history for developers um, for however much history you have in your repo. And we can say for everybody that, uh, that you previously hired for their first say two weeks, for their first three weeks, for their first four weeks, how much code were they writing in that time? Because it's often really uh, nebulous uh, unless you are a lead developer that's paying very close attention to this, this new developer, how they're ramping up and whether you 
are putting them in a position to succeed. Um, it's really easy to forget um, if you're a developer, or a manager, or a CTO that's been working on a team for years that when you first come onto the team, you have to set up an environment, you have to learn all the systems that are play, you have to uh, sort of use whatever documentation is available to understand and orient yourself as to what the conventions of the project are and where the code in the project exists. And so if you're not, uh, if you don't have a means by which to measure how quickly people are getting up to speed, then all of these different areas that make it really hard to start at a company can be sort of neglected or ignored because you don't realize how hard you're making it for people to start and get up to speed quickly on your team. And so what the cohort report does is it allows a manager basically from the day the person is hired, but I think realistically you probably need four to six weeks of data to be able to actually see patterns in in what the in how the developer is ramping up but every week we can show this is the last 50 people you've hired this is how much they got done on their first week this is how much uh you know the new developer has got done on their first week week two like week three week four and so very quickly you you start to be able to aggregate statistics around uh, um, the number of weeks that the developer is performing about average to um, past hires, uh, above the level of past hires, or below the level of past hires, in which case you usually want to have a conversation, kind of understand what the factors are there. But, but the way that we've seen customers use this and the way that we've used it ourselves is as an opportunity for us to identify when we're doing a bad job of, of making it easy for people to set up an environment that allows developers to hit the ground running, or, or if we've done a bad job of documenting sort of what the systems are, then those first weeks are going to be a little bit slower. And so what we want to see is every developer we hire getting up to speed more quickly than the developer before them, which is possible if you have the right systems to measure how what the experience of a developer is when they're joining your team and sort of the ability to understand what the roadblocks are for those early developers uh, in terms of what's uh, making it difficult for them to start contributing and just jump into the code base. So I think it's a super important question because uh, you know, a lot of what uh, CTOs have to do is uh, hire the best possible team and retain the best possible team, probably VP of engineering even more than CTOs, but both of those jobs uh, are very, uh, I think, specifically and uh, rightly concerned with making sure that they have the best people in place. And if you hire somebody and then just aren't able to go and help them within those first critical few weeks when they might be struggling to, to get up to speed, uh, it can sort of, I, I think, uh, color their interpretation of, of the company throughout their tenure, you know, so you really want them to, to have a positive experience at first, and you really want them to be successful uh, from the day that they're hired, and that's what the cohort report is trying to create. So what, what's your, like, what's your couple favorite top ones, or I guess we'll just say what's your most favorite one, even if we've already talked about it, I'm just curious. Yeah, well, uh, honestly, my my favorite one is is probably the uh, the first one that uh, that uh, the developer is taken to or the manager is taken to when they log in, uh, which is maybe no surprise since uh, <laughs> since I have a, a say in which one we go to after logging in. But uh, it's the commit activity browser. It's the view of the code where. Uh, it allows me to basically answer that first question that I'd, I'd uh, talked about when you'd asked me why we built this product. I want to know who's working on what today and who is stuck and like what are the big changes that are happening in code so that I can know uh, when there are new conventions or opportunities or bugs or anything that is coming into the into the repo uh, that could create uh, problems or opportunities down the line, the commit activity browser makes it really easy to spot all that stuff uh, basically from the instant you log in. And it's just kind of fun and cool to look at. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, my, my original uh, history as a developer was uh, making Game Boy games. And so, uh, myself and, and the CTO actually of, of our company uh, <laughs> worked together on this uh, game called Disney Friends, which was just this like ridiculous piece of IP that was like a Nintendogs uh, clone. Uh, I don't, do you remember Nintendogs for the Nintendo oh, DS? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a big hit 10 years ago or whatever, where you like take care of your dog. We, we played this game. It was like advanced Tamagotchis. 
exactly. <laughs> so we we made Tamagotchis, myself and the CTO. We're really proud of this. <laughs> uh, we're not really proud of it. <laughs> we, made, uh, we made Tamagotchis out of like Stitch and we made Tamagotchis out of uh, Nemo from Finding Nemo and from oh, all nice. this Disney IP because our, our studio was tasked with making this Nintendo's ripoff. <laughs> but but what I took from that that uh, history, which was several years, like my formative years as a developer, was that it really matters if it feels good to use a game and like all those like swishes and swoops, all those transition effects um, between different states within the game contributed so much to what our review scores were for the game and just from how much people uh, experienced enjoying the game. And so I've tried to bring that same sort of feel and those same sorts of, uh, I don't know, exciting transition effects and interactions into the commit activity browser. And so there's a lot of like, you click a, a bubble and like the thing scrunches up, you know, and the things fly away. And I just try to make it kind of feel like a game. And uh, it's, it's, it's an effective way to sort of distract oneself from the fact that, you know, reviewing code is sometimes a little bit uh, it's not something people look forward to, but it's so important to review code that if we can make it more fun, uh, it's a big win for everybody, I think. Yeah, it has a very, like, not to get too nerdy, but it reminds me of like a, like a, like a D3JS library, um, mm -hmm. like the interactions. Is it, very it is a D3 there? library. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> cool. <That's, laughs> your, your intuition is on the, on the mark. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's the only way to be able to get the physics that we needed to be able to make it feel like more fun or lifelike, uh, you know, as these commits are bouncing around and you're sort of arranging uh, where they fell in a day like or a week or whatever with a, whatever range the person wants to browse commits for. So yeah, we the D3 has a really great physics library and uh, that's kind of the cornerstone of what makes games feel fun and interactive and relatable as they have that touch point to the real world. And so um, that's an aspect of, of what I uh, incorporated into the commit activity browser and trying to make it feel fun. Yeah, after I saw that, I was like, um, I was talking with Jake and some other people at the office and I said, you know, we, we should take it when people unlock their badges and our like when they finish the course for our leadership program, like we should animate the badge like being yeah. unlocked versus it just popping up and being like badge. It should be like the actual like intricacies of the badge. And so I have like an animator guy that I go to whenever <laughs> I need like small animations, but but those little finishing touches on it, like you they definitely have, there's a time and a place when they go into the project, yep. right? Like after you're very clear about what the business value is and you have some customers, like you figure it out, but the, there's, they're so small and they're, they're just really important in polishing the user experience. And I, and I love you guys because your ample note, uh, I didn't actually look a whole lot at, at uh, the, but how do I say it? Bonanza, Bonanza. Yeah. You got it. Bonanza.com. Okay. Bonanza. I didn't look at that a lot, but I spent a lot of time on ample note. And I spend a lot of time and, and get clear and your design, like just shout out. I hope your designers are listening to this podcast because <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> like it's so beautiful. I just, whenever I recognize great design, I like to tell people good job. <laughs> well, it's hard to make time for a lot of those finishing touches, right? Because that's, that's not, you're not going to be able to substantiate, like, this is the ROI we're going to get from uh, this last 5% of polish, you know, there's not, you're not going to probably be able to measure that animating that badge that is unlocked when a person uh, is able to uh, reach the achievement that you're setting for them. Like, you're not going to be able to measure how that 5% uh, improves people's happiness or satisfaction. You just have to sort of trust that it will. Um, but since you can't measure it, you know, so much of our business processes are built around focusing on measurable victories. And so it's, it's sometimes hard to wedge in time for, um, for satisfying interactions. And, uh, and I, to me, it's just sort of a, uh, a visceral pleasure that I get from using a app or an experience that feels like it's polished and feels like it's connective and, and has nice transitions there. And so uh, I, I definitely appreciate the compliment and we'll uh, send it along to our designers that we've tried to imbue that throughout the products that we're building, that kind of satisfying last 5% that um, that goes a little bit above and beyond uh, what's necessary or what's going to be measurable, um, but but hopefully is creating uh, user experiences that people can recognize and enjoy. And even if they can't pinpoint why they like it so much, uh, they just feel good when they're using it. It's like 
it's like being in a like a nice store like you know you definitely yeah. want to go shop shopping and target more so than other stores because it's got like a, there's a nice experience like i don't care if i'm paying a dollar or two more uh, like i like being in this environment and and if you have to work in an analytics program or you know you have that need to to do these things and understand these things you want to be in one that's like really great Yep. Yep. I'd, I'd say that the other factor that goes into that, that is, is sometimes overlooked is the speed of the experience, right? Because this doesn't apply to Target as much, but, uh, <laughs> but, but for websites and for user experiences that a person is going to have online, uh, you know, it's, it's the same feature that you're implementing, whether it takes five seconds to load or 500 milliseconds to load, but the experience of the user is going to be very, very different if every time they want to have some scratch some itch they have to wait five seconds before that itch gets scratched and so uh, that's another um, I think really important tenant of a site that people enjoy using and that serves its users well is it has to be fast uh, and to have to, to sort of imbue that all the rest of that polish and all the rest of that experience within uh, the sort of wrapper that the user gets and so that's another aspect that we uh, that we try to be really good at and it's obviously difficult because it's it's sort of uh, the counter to complexity. Like we want to create really rich and really informative graphs. And the more richness and information is in a graph, the slower it's going to be unless you work really hard to make it fast. And so they're kind of two poles that are always pulling at each other and there's going to be a balance there. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that game users are, uh, video game users are, are a great uh, audience that really helps uh, uh, bring about or, or I think communicate what a lot of our primal desires are in terms of a great user experience. It should be fast, it should be connective, it should uh, be beautiful, and it should thus be uh, pleasant to use. And to whatever extent that we're accomplishing those things, uh, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do, that's what we're here for. And uh, you want to just combine that with creating value for people to sort of make the whole package of what gets a person uh, excited to use a, a new tool or a new product they haven't tried before. So when, when you're going through the sales process of this, like who is buying and, and why are they buying? So it's uh, a lot of different reasons. Um, and, and I think that there is a lot, there's, it's reflective of the fact that there's so many unmet needs and so many opportunities uh, that exist right now in this space. I, uh, Imagine that uh, you know a lot of your listeners might still be earlier in their career, and they might still be sort of getting up to speed uh, as, as CTOs or VPs of, of engineering. And and what they're probably doing, which is kind of what I was doing earlier in my career, is working really, really hard to uh, you know potentially really long weeks to be able to get an edge and to be able to understand things better than their peers can understand them. Uh, and and working hard is great. And I. You know, have sort of been lucky enough to end up in a domain where even if I'm putting in a lot of hours, uh, it doesn't feel like work because uh, it's just fun to be able to solve these problems and to be able to uh, create these experiences like we've been talking about. But what when you sort of run out of, of hard work energy and you run out of smarts, all that's left is the tools that you have and how those are going to be able to make you more effective. And so when it comes to what people want to get out of our product, it's really, there's there's a quite a breadth. Um, it's sort of, I think, similar to uh, the list of things that people expect out of a CTO, or at least there's a strong correlation there. Uh, some of the things that people expect out of a CTO, they expect them or a VP of engineering, and they expect them to have some sense for who the domain experts are, like we talked about, some sense for how quickly people are getting up to speed and whether it's easy for them to get up to speed, some sense for where the technical debt resides in the project. Um, and, and then just are the policies of the company, like are those conducive to developers getting work done and being happy? Uh, I, I would say those are probably a handful of the questions that people bring to us most often. And so our, our usually our demo process, our process of introducing users to our product is just asking them, what are your biggest problems? <laughs> because 
you know, over the course of, of all the demos we've given, we've collected a very wide breadth of, of different problems that people will bring to us. I guess PRs and like communication in the PR process is another really big bucket of, of problems that, that people will sometimes bring about. And we have solutions for those problems. We have kind of incrementally built our product around understanding what are the needs of the CTOs that, that come to us and that uh, that have been working really hard and, you know, they're smart people, but they just only have so much time in a day. Uh, and, and we want to be their performance enhancing drug, you know, like we want to be the, um, the resource that they can consult to be able to answer whatever their engineering questions are. And if, uh, if they have a need that get clear doesn't yet address, well, those are a lot of our best features. Uh, right now we've been, uh, working with a user that's, uh, onboarding uh, from a small company. And he has uh, brought us a lot of good ideas around um, being able to identify when a JIRA ticket is uh, filed as a bug and how long does it take for us to resolve the high priority bugs that get, uh, that get filed into JIRA and what can we learn about those bugs, both in terms of how long it takes us to resolve them and what code was changed in the course of resolving the bug, which is uh, sort of an indicator for where the bug came about, like which commit, uh, which developer, what, what are the circumstances that, that created the code that needed to be changed to resolve this bug? And so that is, I think, a really interesting question to be able to have better uh, insight into where bugs are being created and how quickly they're being resolved. And so that's another example of, of a feature that um, just by asking people what they want and listening, um, we're able to uh, really rapidly evolve our product in that direction. And so maybe an overbroad answer to your initial question, but um, but yeah, there's all sorts of different uh, areas that we'll tap into in the course of a demo. And it really just depends on um, sort of what the CTO has identified as sort of the, the biggest opportunities or the biggest uh, learning uh, areas that they want to be able to focus and better understand within their team because we have tools for pretty much whatever those problems they're going to, to bring to us are. Have you narrowed like your ideal customer profile? Like we want companies that are like a hundred million in revenue with two to 300 people that are growing at like 40% year over year because we know that they have this one like meaty thing that we just do amazing at. Yeah, well, I, I would say that um, it's evolving. Um, I, I think that through a lot of our history, our, our sweet spot has been uh, the, the teams that are in a position like I described Bonanza in, uh, you know, when we built Get Clear, teams that are scaling from having three to five developers where the, the CTO could really uh, had, have the time and, and energy to comprehend every change that is happening. And they're scaling up to more like 10 or 15 or 20 engineers. Um, that's really been a sweet spot for us because those teams, uh, they crave tools like the commit activity browser and, and like the directory browser tools that allow them at scale to be able to see what their developers are working on and not have to have a stand-up meeting every morning where uh, you have, you know, 15 or 20 minutes spent talking and 15 or 20 minutes spent preparing for it and then 15 or 20 minutes spent afterwards sort of uh, digesting the the takeaways from those meetings. I'm not saying all stand-up meetings need to be taken off the calendar, but I'm saying there's definitely a cost to those. And I think a lot of the small teams feel that cost acutely. And I know that we have acutely felt the cost of any sort of fixed scheduled meetings that we subject our engineers to. And so that has been traditionally the, the sweet spot of Get Clear has been those smaller teams that want to understand uh, what what their developers are working on, what tickets their developers are working on, and, and what they should be uh, focusing on in terms of the domains that they send uh, different tickets towards the, the, and the domain expertise of the developers. Uh, but what we really were finding as uh, GitClear grows in popularity is that uh, there's also a, a really big opportunity for larger teams uh, in terms of being able to compare the performance that they're seeing across regions or across uh, different uh, uh, agile methodologies that the sort of sub teams within a large enterprise uh, will be uh, adopting because 
in effect, every team, when, when you have a, a really uh, large company, and I'll try to use an example of somebody that isn't a customer of ours yet, say Microsoft, uh, you, you have uh, all of these probably thousands of teams that are all kind of little experiments. They're all little productivity experiments in, in a sense where they're going to have their own uh, sort of agile practices. They're going to have their own meeting structure. They're going to have their own, you know, conventions around what should be filed as a JIRA and whatnot. And so it's really difficult um, using uh, really any tool that exists to understand like how can we compare the output of these experiments? How can we measure which of these experiments is really working well and, and, and sort of understand why it's working well? And so that's a, a new market that is really starting to catch on uh, amongst the uh, new customers that we're seeing is uh, the, the market for being able to identify which of the teams uh, that are within an organization are getting a lot done and are not creating tech debt in the process. And then being able to sort of interview those, those teams and model more of the organization or at least expose more of the organization to the practices that are working really well uh, for these sub teams. And so that's, that's I think a really big opportunity for us uh, you know, in, in 2020 and beyond is being able to help managers Take the take the interpret the results of all these teams, all these experiments, these productivity experiments that are happening, and and take the best from all of those, so that the entire organization can sort of have this cross pollination of ideas and practices and meeting structures that that will work best uh, for that measurably work best for whatever the company's domain is. Obviously, if you're a fintech company, your uh, your concerns are going to be a lot different than if you're a a health care company or if you're a Silicon Valley startup in, you know, B2B space or whatever. They're all different kinds of companies need different kinds of practices. Um, and so there's not any one right answer, but you can help your management find the teams that are that have kind of naturally evolved their way to the best answers and then spread those teams information throughout the rest of the organization. So that's, I, I think the, the answer is a little bit uh, uh, equivocating and that I'm not able to say a single uh, uh, user group that has uh, been the only one that gets value from Get Clear, but there's been a few and a few different groups that have evolved over time that really seem to uh, tap into what we're offering and, and get value from it. We were just doing this exercise uh, this past week where we took the, the customers, all of our past customers, based on uh, how profitable they were for us. And that was like one metric. And then all of our past customers based on who's having the most success, hmm, right? Like who's like most that. excited about it. And then all of our customers based on who we liked the most. Like just <laughs> doing like we like spending time with, right? Like yeah. who we want to be stuck in a stuck in a room with. And then we took those those three sets of data and we came up with like our top, you know, five, 10 customers because we want to figure out like exactly how we attracted them, exactly why they bought from us, because we are like getting to the point where we realize, okay, this is gonna be a long, you know, we're, we're two or three years into this and we're like, we're gonna spend another five, 10 years doing this. And so we wanna make sure that we find and service the customers who we enjoy spending the most time with, who are having the most success and whatever. And wouldn't you know, they all came in from the same value prop. We've, we've tried like 15 value props, but they've all come in from the same value <laughs> prop. I know. Um, they, they are, most of them are physically located, like geographically, like near each other. And hmm. um, yeah. And, and then, so we were like, now, now that made it really, clear because you know the first couple of years you're just trying stuff you know you're changing your sales copy you're trying new value propositions you're trying to solve problems you're talking to people you're getting customers you're taking who you can you know letting everyone sort of use the product and then you're seeing like people having more success than others and you're like why and it's like okay well some companies their culture is different so we just learned something about our business like we are really good when a company has this culture hmm. so how do we how do we identify like companies that have that culture. Cause I would rather have us have a, my, my sales team, like be able to tap a company on the shoulder and say, we need to talk to you because our product only really works with companies that are like yours, that have a culture like yours, that look like yours, that are at your size. And when, when you do use these products, you were just 
fanatical customers who love us, who get huge results, and you're going to tell all your friends. And here's the case study of the other five people that are just like you that have done this too. And you're like, well, that's, I never get that type of message on LinkedIn. You know, I never get approached. <laughs> I, get, I, get, I get bombarded with junk. I never get somebody saying, look, you have to take a look at our product because you're the only type of company that has like huge success with it. And you, you need to see this because you're going to love it. Um, so we, we did that exercise and it really helped us like with our clarity for, for this coming year. Yeah, that's fascinating. So what do you think, what was it, which, which audience was it that, that had connected and why do you think that was? And it's not too much of a diversion. It's just interesting. Uh, oh yeah. Idea. So yeah. So the ten, uh, companies that have people that like want to improve, like uh -huh. that's the first one, like you cannot buy our management training for people who don't want to, to grow. Um, yeah. so if that's in the leaders, if that's in the culture of the company, then they love it. The second thing is they're usually uh, over like a hundred to a thousand people, like a hundred to a thousand okay. people. Um, and they're tech usually in tech. They're like analytics companies or um, we have one animation company. They do like animation for, for like happy feet, like different kids movies. And <laughs> so yeah, the, those types of, of companies, just they tend to be in technology, they tend to be making technology, and they tend to be, um, you know, over $50 million in revenue, uh, about yeah. 100 to 1000 people. And we just noticed that they have a lot of success with it. And so now we're like, that actually made everything really clear, because the biggest problem, you know, like you've got to know this, you're a CEO, right? Like <laughs> you have a product, and there's too many customers. Like there's yeah. too many, it's like, where do I, do I go to enterprises? Do I try to sell to them? And every, however you pick, it determines what your sales process looks like. Like what type of salespeople you hire, how you get the leads, how you service the leads. I mean, is every single one like an, like a demo or do they go free trial first? Like all of that structures back. And so there's just too many possibilities. You can just run in circles and get real diluted real fast. And for me, that was like my biggest struggle, like looking back on it, like that's my biggest struggle is like we had, we loved the product so much and we knew so many people could use it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't have focus. So two years of just trying all types of customers and all types of value products just made it really, really clear what we need to do for the next couple of years. Yeah, that's, that's a, I think really ties into something that's been uh, true for me throughout my career that I've observed, which is that uh, a lot of the best products have a really specific uh, sort of vision of, of what the product is going to offer and equally specific vision about what the product isn't going to offer uh, so that so that you kind of avoid becoming, you know, Microsoft Word circa 2010. I don't know if the word's still the same <laughs> way as it used to be. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, or I'd say Evernote circa 2015 more recently, you know, like work chat. Like we, we really want to like have chat in our note taking app, you know. Wait, like, Evernote's doing it, that? They used to, I don't know. They have, they like, they oh. went through a really dark period. I, I hope they've uh, come out of it. Or actually, I guess I don't hope they've come out of it since we're competing against them now, but. Um, <laughs> Ample note for the win. <laughs> but, but Evernote, you know, I think is a perfect example of a, of a tool that anybody can use it, right? And so I think they've had a hard time figuring out like who are our, our target customers? What is our vision? Like what is our, what is the key piece of value that we're going to just go so deep into that we blow people's minds that we understand them so well. And I think Evernote spent a lot of years, at least in the early 2010s, not having such a clear idea of who they were building it for and what why they were building it. And so they went on all these, you know, would say like wild goose chases, but they went on all these uh, misadventures of implementing features that are really only tangentially related to what I would consider their core value proposition, allowing people to capture all their ideas and information and have that organized. Uh, and, and because of that, they both, uh, wasted time not not working on advancing the the core functionality that that people would really need but they also added clutter to the ui they also like made it more difficult for the people that just want to use it for its best purpose uh because there was that much less clarity around uh, where you should be focusing your attention. And so uh, I, I love that you guys have been able to uh, narrow down, like these are 
the organizations that just when we tap into these types of uh, companies that are passionate about growth, that are passionate about uh, improving and becoming a better version of themselves every day, those are the people that, that we can create a ton of value for. And so what do those people need? How can we use that to uh, build the, the minimum set of features that are really easy for that group of people to understand and use. And if other groups of people uh, can get value from that, that's great. And, and maybe you eventually sort of try to, to acknowledge those other groups in whatever ways uh, can make sense in, the, in context. But, but I think that it's still really important to have a, a solid idea of why you're building a product, who you're building the product for, and what the minimum functionality is that you can get by with, and thereby avoid sort of the the easy heap or the easy uh, problem that a lot of companies fall into, which is just this dog pile of features. You know, this we're just going to add more more value props. We're going to add more customer endorsements and testimonials. We're going to add more uh, more widgets and more things for people to click on. You know, like it's uh, it's it's an easy path to ruin, and it's a, a really understandable um, place for for people to end up since you just get there by listening to everybody and trying to accommodate everybody, but. I think the best products have a more specific viewpoint about um, about who they're trying to satisfy. And uh, sounds like you're building one of those products yourself by by way of uh, understanding who your target ideal customers are that have gotten the most value, and then building something that's really optimized around those people, right? Right, and like like for you, like you want the people using GitClear who are going to have the most success with it. Like, because what they're going to do is everybody talks, like they're going to go around and just scream it from the mountaintops. Like, this is actually really cool. And the thing is, it takes time to get into it and, and see it. So it's like, yep. you know, how do, how do we get, like, how do we reduce the time to value, right? Like, how do we get it so yeah. that they can see the value as quickly as possible? And I love how you guys had, had done that where you offer like a sample repo too, so they could, they could actually see it like, working in a fully existing repo while they're repo imports and all of that. So I, I really enjoyed that. Like how, how do we get, I guess like what's the call to action? You have a free trial on the site? Yep. Yeah. So uh, we have a free trial. A lot of our customers will request a demo and so we can sort of walk them through uh, the features. Like I said, there's so many different questions that we can answer and uh, and usually the best way for us to create value for people in a time efficient way is for them to tell us sort of what their challenges have been or what where their organization has, has struggled over the last year. Um, and for us to use that to sort of guide a conversation with them. Uh, the best of these conversations happen when the user has already uh, imported a couple of their own repos. Uh, we allow, uh, I think we might be the only uh, product in our space that allows this, but a user can just sign up for a GitClear account without having to go through some account manager or salesperson or anything. Uh, and so they can, uh, from our homepage, sign up uh, for an account and import up to three repos. And uh, we can then use that data uh, in our demo so that we can talk specifically, and, and this is kind of what I spend a lot of my life doing these days, I can talk specifically to a company like, this is uh, what I'm seeing uh, on your team relative to similar companies that we've looked at. It seems like your developers are uh, sort of losing uh, productivity, say Friday morning was a recent example that I, that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> It is a really popular time to, to do the um, learning and to do like, you know, company improvement. Uh, and so there's value to that, obviously, but there's a cost to it as well. And so you just want to make companies conscious of the decisions they're making, right? And uh, <laughs> leader bits is, of course, a, a decision that in the long term is going to make them a much more effective uh, company. But in the short term, you can measure and see like, oh, but we got a little bit less programming done right, right at this time. And so that's, that's really what I try to focus on is I think you know a point that you'd made during our our lunch that uh, that I've reflected on several times since is that you just you always want to be the person that's creating value for other people. You want to like dedicate your life and as much as a person can do something like so so grandiose, but you want to dedicate your time to to understanding what people need and to to give that to them in sort of the the best smallest package possible that. 
uh, solves their needs and understands them deeply. And for us, what that looks like is people importing their actual data and us going uh, through that data with them to show them uh, basically, this is how your team is operating today. This is what your team is working on today. These are who your domain experts are today. And these are what we think your, your team can look like tomorrow. This is where we see uh, opportunities for us to uh, be able to help you uh, make your developers, uh, you know, more productive, to be able to get answers to their questions more quickly, to be able to understand their own work. Uh, all of those things become possible when we can really have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a customer using their own data and, uh, and, and basically walk through it to them and, and help them get that edge uh, that they need to um, understand their team on a really profound level. So that's, that's usually uh, how people sort of end up becoming Git Clear customers is they're curious. It only takes, you know, five minutes to start that uh, that repo import. And if that looks good, then they'll have a conversation with us where we talk about the data. And if that's all the value we can create for them, so be it. Like we're happy to give uh, free ideas about, uh, about where a team looks like it's stuck or where opportunities might be. Um, but if they, if they get value from that, then we can go so much further to give them a tool that they can use every day to better understand their team and that their developers can actually use uh, to understand what their what their peers are working on and how they can become more proficient themselves. So that's that's what we're trying to do. I have an idea. I have an All idea. Right. Okay. So this is just we could love it or hate it. It's okay. So you're all about measuring things and data. I think it'd be cool to to take a company, whether it's like one of our customers or like one of our newer customers, one of your existing customers, and maybe that has like 10, 10 engineering teams, right? And then put five and, and, and then we put analytics across all 10, but we only give five of them management training. Mm -hmm. Right? I like this. Right? Yeah. And we and like we'll we'll do a baseline where we track them all without any training. Like we track all 10, I don't know exactly I'm just off the top of my head. We track yeah. all 10 teams for like two or three months. Just get like a baseline. Yep. Then give one of the teams management training. So their leaders, they understand vision, motivation, how to grow their teams, how to inspire them, how to, how to focus, like how to get them to work um, from the human level of things. And then we let the data like speak. Wow. That's we great. like see yeah. if we can make, can we make a <laughs> measurable impact on the engineering team through management training? Like, it, because, you know, no, no, no leadership company wants to actually do this like they're scared the hell of it that it's not going to work like i'm <laughs> right like i yep. i see what happens because we have like over 1500 people on it's like we know it happens and they but it would be so cool to have a third party right like to have get clears analytics running on it and then have our stuff come in because then it's like it, it just makes the the data more truthy right yeah absolutely i mean that's that's what i think it's a beautiful idea uh, because I think that any any uh, earnest attempt to improve has to be informed by measurement. You can you can have all the great feelings in the world that I'm learning something I'm 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 uh, understand something better than I did before thanks to leader bits. But if you can't measure that and if you can't actually sort of uh, prove out those outcomes with unbiased data, then you know, there's 10 other uh, potential improvements that you could make that you could also feel like they're going well and also could not be measured, you know? Uh, so, so what makes that idea uh, so, so captivating, at least for me, is that um, we want uh, to create the measurement that allows people to run experiments like that. You know, it's like what I was talking about earlier, where in a sense, a, a large enterprise is just, you know, a hundred productivity experiments that are running where you can understand like which of these teams, which of these experiments is actually working, which of these teams is getting the most stuff done, which is closing the most tickets, which is uh, having the most code written, which is re reducing the most tech debt, um, whatever is important to the team, whatever metrics matter to their project managers or their CTO, GitClear can help them measure that. And so an experiment like the one you're proposing here becomes really potent way for a company to multiply, you know, by potentially 2x or 3x or however much uh, the, the efficacy of, of what they're doing and how much they can get done, which is sort of the very definition of what a successful company is. A company is getting a lot of stuff done. So 
I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I would I would love to help participate in whatever way we can to um, to run a, a sort of a control based uh, experiment yeah. where we could try to um, to pick apart like does this help? How much does it help? What kind of teams does it help? And how can we sort of create more of these outcomes for uh, for other companies that could benefit from that kind of instruction? Yeah, we definitely have to try it with like two or three different companies and like 10 teams each. Why don't I ask around if, if you're cool with that, would you do like a free trial with them for a couple months? We could actually do like a, we could probably do like a, like a co-branded case study or something. Yeah. No, would you be, be into great. that? We've, yeah. I mean, we've, uh, case studies is, is a big area that I think is an opportunity for us. And we just, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like what I was talking about earlier with uh, the, the last 5% of polish. It's something that I know we should do, but it's really hard for me to carve out time to, to create a well-orchestrated case study. So it's something that's sort of perpetually, we're almost doing this, but I would, I would love to be able to create a, a real uh, substantiated study that people could go to uh, and, and would present them evidence in a well from a well-controlled uh, setting as to what they can realistically expect to get from uh, you know both from the combination of uh, their practices from get clear and from uh, leader bits and so uh, I think that sounds great I think that could really uh, sort of go straight to your uh, mo which is creating value for people uh, I, I think that uh, makes a lot of sense on a lot of different levels and and ought to benefit uh, a lot of companies uh, that could be run a little bit better yeah, I've also seen recently, I've seen like the like two or three companies in a space will get together and do something like they'll do a case study or something together. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And I like you. So like, I, I don't mind spending time with you and hanging out. <laughs> um, yeah, I think and I have the network to do it, too. And I know that there's like there's certain people out there that they really care. They want to improve. And it's like, I think that they? if we could, <laughs> why wouldn't they? Yeah, the, the people you want to be around, that's that's who it is. So let me, I'll, I'll drive it forward and I'll push around and, and see if we can um, get some interest from a couple people and then we can, I don't know. Yeah, that was spontaneous and fun. That was pretty cool. <laughs> What's the worst that's going to happen? You know, like Joel's spontaneous idea, like could get them, you know, 50% more measurable productivity, you know, not just our, not just us telling them, like, it seems like your people are more productive. We can actually prove out that their team is doing better. And so, uh, I like it. I, and I, I have, yeah. I would suspect that a lot of your network is going to like it too, because the worst thing that can happen is you get free services that make you about as productive as you were before. Oh, well, if you get free services <laughs> that make you 50 or hundred percent more productive than you were before, like, cool, sign me up. <laughs> Dude, this is exciting. This is a really cool podcast. I, we did it, man. <laughs> we made a podcast. Holy cow. What? We did it. <laughs> we did it. It's done. But is there anything that we, that we missed or that we didn't get? I don't think so. No, I, I think, well, let me double check. Yeah. Yeah. You, you asked uh, a lot of great questions and get a free uh, trial I, on getclear.com, right? Yep. Getclear.com. Yep. Get a free get trial. Clear.com and uh, it's, uh, we also have a, a product open repos that uh, a person can visit. And this is kind of another way that we try to make it really uh, easy for uh, a CTO or a, a VP to understand uh, how GitClear works. You can actually see GitClear working for a lot of the biggest uh, open source repos that already, uh, that they probably heard of, like React or Angular or TensorFlow, all these different like really high profile open source projects, which a lot of companies have as their libraries uh, are instrumented with GitClear. And so you can actually see the 20 developers uh, that are working on these projects and sort of what their commit activity browser looks like and, and how if you were a manager of that team, you would be able to much more rapidly see sort of the domain of, of interest and expertise for the people on those teams. And so that's another uh, opportunity to kind of click around. But but really, like the, the most value that we see created is when people will just sign up for a trial and, and then uh, ch chat with us over a demo. So, uh, so yeah, uh, come, hopefully they'll come to Get Clear and give it a shot. And we would love to try to help them. Yeah, I'm not shy about promoting like really awesome products. So getclear.com. <laughs> and yeah, you'll get to meet like Bill it. and his team. Great people, right? <laughs> I like it. I, I'm awesome. on board with that. <laughs> Dude, I'm excited. Hell yeah. I'm pumped. <laughs> well, you have a fantastic day, my friend. And then, um, yeah, we'll circle back uh, as we start to produce this stuff. And then as I get feedback from other people. 
on the, on the idea of the case study. All right, great. Thanks a bunch, Joel. Talk soon, Bill. Yep. Thanks, Jake. Bye-bye. See you, bud. Bye.